0: Welcome into the next edition of the Duck Territory Podcast, Matt Preen, Eric Scopel. Uh, we're previewing the Civil War game, tonight, uh, which kicks off Saturday on ESPN two at four o'clock. Another afternoon I game.
1: It. I love it. Four o'clock is about, I think, the best kickoff time you can you can have in terms of you get an opportunity to tailgate beforehand if you're a fan, and then you also don't you know you're not there till you know the end of the, the night. You're not there till eleven p.m.
0: Uh, this uh, the Civil War, and it's what? What's the addition here? I think it's 121st or 22nd. 121st meeting all time uh, between the Ducks and the Beavers. Uh, Oregon does own the the series advantage, 63, 47, and 10. But the Beavers have bragging rights going into this one because they won uh, 34-24 last season in Corvallis. Uh, everyone remembers that game where the Beavers closed it out with 21 straight rushing plays. Uh, Ouch. The torrential downpour, which we'll get into uh, later on in this podcast. Yeah. Um, and then just days following that loss to the Beavers, uh, the Oregon administration made a coaching change and fired Mark Kelfrich and his entire coaching staff. Uh, and that's ushered in the new era here of Oregon football with Willie Taggart and his crew at, at Oregon. So Civil War, you always kind of say throw out the record books. Um, you know, games, games, I guess are always going to be chippy. Uh, but this one just has a a different feel because there really isn't a season to ruin for Oregon State because Oregon's bowl eligible now. And that was kind of one of the the things you were waiting to see. Oh, maybe Oregon State can play ultimate spoiler and and prevent Oregon from getting to a bowl. Well, that's already happened. Uh, and then on top of that, the Beavers are just abysmal. They've lost nine, excuse me, they've lost nine straight games they've given up over 1100 yards rushing the last 3 weeks also ouch ouch uh their their head coach has quit on them uh and they are we thought Oregon was banged up last year throughout the season they are incredibly banged up this season their their injury report has like 18 guys on it in terms of who's dealing with injuries who's unavailable who's questionable who's doubtful um it this just it doesn't feel like feels like those you know, Chip Kelly era, Civil War games where there is just no chance uh, for Oregon State. Does it feel weird then? I mean, Oregon opened up
1: as a twenty-four point favorite, mm-hmm. I believe, which which is which is pretty. You know, that's a that's a sizable advantage. But does it feel like that's almost a little too yeah too low? I, mean, I, I, I I know so. Oregon. I mean, if if Oregon was Herbert hadn't gotten hurt and Oregon was nine and two right now, or I don't know eight and three or something like that, maybe it would be a little bit bigger. But it, it seems like Oregon should be. You know, a much, much larger favorite than they are. And I think, uh, you know, if I'm betting on it, we, we'll we do a predictions later in the show. I, I would certainly take Oregon to, to cover those points and probably win by more than that. I mean, I think this is a scenario where I know rivalry games are typically closer than you expect. But just kind of looking at it objectively, Oregon should conceivably roll over Oregon State. Oregon State, I think, is last in a pack 12 in total yards, last in a pack 12 in total yards defense. Last in the Pac-12 in scoring and last in the Pac-12 in scoring defense. So they're basically the worst bad. At, at everything, and 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 that's you know and that's indicative of a team that hasn't won a conference game and frankly hasn't been competitive in very many. I think the Stanford game has kind of been the only one where they've had a shot. Colorado was also close, yeah. but um, they're not very good. And Oregon, you know, has had their moments of, of not looking, you know, of looking equally bad. That run, obviously, without Herbert, but Herbert's back, and I think we saw against Arizona that this team with a healthy Justin Herbert is, is still pretty dang tough and you know, you expect him to look better than he looked last week against Arizona in his first start in six weeks and uh, I think this could be a game where it's finished by the end of the second quarter
0: Yeah, you, I think typically you don't wonder what the mindset is of a team going into a rivalry game going into senior day going into the last regular season game of the year um, but we learned that Last season, yeah. Oregon was disinterested in playing that game. Um, I, I think, especially once the torrential downpour <clears throat> hit and the weather turned and got really nasty. Um, I don't feel like this team is overlooking the Beavers. I mean, talking with no, the players this week, so. you know, Royce Freeman talked about it. Uh, you know, we, we've seen coaches talk about it. We've we've heard from other offensive players, and then. Uh, we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday, and uh, we're walking away from interviews with the defensive players, and we get the same feeling of guys are you know locked in on on this win. I, I think last year's loss, and more importantly, the way it looked and the way that Oregon performed, yeah. um, I think resonates more with the fact that than than that they actually lost that game. I mean, obviously they were pissed that they lost, and they weren't happy about it, but I think the way it happened. And the way they were perceived following that loss kind of hurts them more than the actual loss itself. And so I think a lot of these guys are are wanting to to right the ship, if you will, and kind of change the narrative here a little bit. A number of the
1: in-state players we spoke with this week, guys that are from the state, who were probably hearing from both sides of the rivalry, said that they're tired of hearing from the Oregon State contingent about last year's game. They, they've heard enough about it, and they want to go out and, and kind of shut them up, so... I, I don't think Oregon lacks motivation. I'm not sure the last year they necessarily did, but, I mean, it was kind of a season that they didn't have a whole lot to play for. They'd won eight straight in the rivalry. rivalry um, you, you kind of wonder where their mindset was. I don't think this year you have anything to worry about in terms of their preparation. I think they're going to be pretty dialed in. Um, and there was also a couple of interesting comments that I think we're going to get to. Well,
0: I, I was just going to say, I, I, it doesn't just resonate with the in-state guys. I mean, Arian Springs said that, you know, he's tired of hearing them talk. Yeah. Uh, and then... He brought it, a reporter brought it up to Arion Springs, Oregon, senior cornerback of Corey Hall's comments, and I'll read those off to you. Uh, Corey Hall said this earlier in the week. Uh, I remember seeing that our sideline was jumping around, and we didn't have raincoats on. And then I saw the fancy duck raincoats on. He said, and I remember thinking, "We're going to beat them. They're not prepared for these elements." And no, not necessarily, I think, derogatory comments, but kind of a shot. Kind a shot. Yeah. Kind of a shot, and then. Ariane Springs was asked about that and he was like, man, you know, kind of brushed it off as, you know, just trash talk. And then it's like, and then he said, it's like the guy who's complaining about the other guy who gets all the girls. <laughs> so we've had some volleys come yeah. from OSU. We've had a couple volleys go from, go back to Corvallis from Marion Springs. Uh, today we were speaking with Taggart, tried to get Taggart to talk about it and see if he was, Playing game of volleying of shots back and forth, and he didn't buy into it. He didn't buy into it. And his response to the same question was, "Congratulations to Corey All and his wife on their newborn baby. It's <laughs> it's a great time to have it. Everyone's you know you're thankful. It's right around Thanksgiving. Um, deep down though, reading Taggart in the year that we've we've covered him now, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I got this little impression that he's not going to talk but he might pour on a couple extra touchdowns. Well, he did He did say something like, I don't think he'd heard the comment, or if he if he hadn't, he was playing
1: coin. He said, oh, he said what? Oh, he did now. Okay. And then he went into the thing. I, I, I got a sense that he he was kind of like, oh, okay. That's yeah, how you're going to talk. Gonna, they're going to play it this way. They're 1-10. They're going to play it this way. Okay, well, maybe we'll have something to say about that on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think he was willing to engage in a – Right. A, a, a volleying attack with a one in ten team. Right. Um, we're obviously just speculating on reads of, of a head coach. You know, maybe truth said that. Well, I think I mean, he probably does hope the guy has. I mean, I, I, yes. for his, his newborn child. Yes, yeah, I, I mean. was not. I was not implying he was lying on that one. <laughs> I um, hope you'd hope not. <laughs> um, but speaking with this team overall, yeah. I just got the overall sense they're pretty locked in. Yeah. Um, right. And really, the only person that Oregon truly, I mean, it, it's sad to say this, that truly needs to just really worry about is Ryan Nall, yes. a guy who, now, to Oregon State's credit, absolutely destroyed Oregon last season. Last two seasons,
1: actually. I ran the stats uh, yesterday. Uh, actually, I think we posted this morning in my buy the Numbers. Um, Ryan Nall has accumulated 15% of his career rushing yards, and he's actually had, hes had quite a few. Um, in two games against Oregon, he had like 174 as a freshman. That was a kind of his coming out party. I and mean, then I think he had like 155 and and, uh, and four touchdowns last year. So he has absolutely blown up uh, the Oregon defense in consecutive seasons. And obviously, you know, you look at their offensive numbers, and they're and they're really really bad. Um, like Oregon, they dealt with a quarterback injury. Jake Luton started the season at quarterback. He actually fr- fractured his spine, which is a scary injury. Um, they've gone to Daryl Garrettson, Ger- and he's hasn't been. No, he's not good. very much better. And they, their stats are actually pretty similar, but um, they don't have much of a passing attack. But Ryan Nall um, is kind of been their lone bright spot. I think he's had three 100-yard rushing games this season, which is respectable, but um, probably not at the same level you'd expect from him. I think he came in with hype. As I think he was on a couple of, of uh, preseason All pack 12 first teams above Royce Freeman, which was I thought was surprising at the time, and he obviously hasn't lived up to that hype, but. A guy that that Oregon has had a lot of trouble slowing down in the past, um, and obviously a focal point this week and asked a couple guys about what makes it so difficult to defend um Nolan. They you know, both Tyree Robinson and Lamar Winston said he's a lot faster than you expect. He's a six foot two, two hundred and forty pound guy, but when you get in the open field, he can outrun you. I think that kind of surprises people, and obviously Oregon. Would hope that they aren't surprised this time, since they've already had two opportunities to, to try to play him
0: it's, it's interesting you said that because I asked Die the same question. What what kind of stands out about Ryan Nall and trying to defend him? And he was the complete opposite. Of he's incredibly physical and, yeah. and, and runs people over. And I mean, he, he mentioned he, he's agile and he can get around, but he's a guy that his bread and butter is to just run people over and, and, and be a very physical guy. And that kind of just gives you the the glimpse into just how talented this guy actually is because he can do both. Yeah. And he's the one guy, you know, within this Oregon state team that, you know, maybe he's good enough to put the entire program on his back and get 40 carries, uh, and, and grind out a win for Oregon State. I think Yeah,
1: I think that would be, if, if you're Oregon State and you're trying to figure out how you can win this game, I think you you hope you can ride Ryan Nall. He has similar success as he's had the last two years against Oregon. He runs for 200 yards and four touchdowns and and the Oregon State defense, which has been kind of a slip at the wheel now for the whole season, basically, um, is somehow able to create a bunch of turnovers or stop Oregon. Um, and that's kind of how they go about doing it, just a dominant running attack. Maybe it rains a lot again so there's not a whole lot of passing, but he, he certainly is the, the most noteworthy player on probably the whole team. And another guy we should mention, another running back, Thomas Tyler, yeah. will be making his return trip to Otton. Uh, has not played for Oregon since 2014 and not obviously played in Austin since then either. Um, this is his first year with the Beavers. First too. year with the Beavers. Yeah, hurt his shoulder and took a year off and then medically retired from Oregon and then joined Oregon State over the summer. Um, not a huge part of the offense. He has like 250 yards rushing and a handful of touchdowns, but, I'm sure. I'll I think be, last
0: week he had a touchdown and, and had maybe a big, a little bit bigger. I think of a he role. had a 60
1: yards rushing. Yeah. He's, he's, his numbers have been better in, in the last four or five weeks. But I'll be interested to see how he's received at um, at Otson on his first carry. Obviously, we know that uh, they, they booed Darren Carrington, but uh, Tyner left on a little different circumstances. Is it going to be similar? Or will it be? But either way, it'll be it'll be interesting to see a guy who you know when he entered. Uh, His career at Oregon had such high expectations. His time at Aloha, where he, you know, set all sorts of state rushing records, came in as a five-star recruit. People thought he was going to be, you know, the next Michael James or superstar running back at Oregon. Oregon turns around, signs Roy Freeman the next year, and 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 he kind of takes kind of the. You know, that takes the baton and ends up being kind of the star guy, and, and I don't know if I think there are a lot of things going on, but Tyner ends up obviously not finishing his career at Oregon, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see kind of what that looks like on Saturday, how much of a role he might have. in, in I play. don't
0: think Oregon should should boo them, but I expect that they will because I, I do not think they
1: should boo Carrington, and they, they did. So,
0: and I don't know if you remember or not when he made that decision, Tyner to enroll into Oregon State and join the football program, he made. I'm paraphrasing here it Was with, with an article with John Casano. He basically implied this was he, where he, he always kind of wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of hurt Oregon's fan base. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's because of that kind of a comment, not because he left, but because he said, he, you know, this is where I truly, really always wanted to be. Um, I think that's where the potential for a boo might happen. Um, hopefully not – I mean the kid's a good kid. Yeah, I know. And the reason why he's not playing at Oregon is when you medically retire, the NCAA has a rule that states you can no longer play for that school no matter what happens. Even if you get a second opinion or a third or a fourth opinion that clears you uh and the U of O signs off on it, you you can't play there just because of you've medically retired. You're forced to go and play somewhere else. And so that's kinda you know, Maybe he was always going to go to Oregon State. Maybe we don't know that, yeah. but he, you know, playing at Oregon was not even an option on the table for for Thomas Tyner. Yeah.
1: So that that'll be, I guess, kind of a, an ancillary storyline to follow. Like I said, unlikely he plays a huge role in the outcome. We could be wrong. Maybe they'll be like, hey, he's hungry. He wants right. to get back at Oregon and, and feed him the rock more. But I think his career or his, his his season high in carries is nine, so he hasn't been a guy who's been a huge part of their offense. But he's. He's certainly kind of, you know, a guy who, who'll be in the, he'll make an appearance and I'm sure he'll be a part of the offense, but probably not a huge part.
0: And then, uh, let's, let's, let's shift over to some coaching rumors and we're not even talking about Taggart. Uh, the defensive coordinator, Jim Levitt. Right. Um, there were some reports out this week and then there were also some reports out, uh, last week and we'll start first with two weeks ago. Um, there was a report out by Brett McMurphy, former ESPN. I think he now works for fanrag, uh, dot com. Where he stated that Levitt and Kansas State had an agreement, a verbal agreement for Levitt to become the head coach in waiting, uh, at Kansas State under, uh, Snyder. But then Snyder nixed that because he wants his son to become the head coach when he's done coaching. Uh, and then this week, uh, Snyder confirmed to, uh, the Wichita Eagle. On a press conference that he had offered Levitt a job, but it was a linebacker's position because they didn't have a coordinator job available uh, for Levitt back in March. So that means three or four months after Taggart had hired Levitt at Oregon as defensive coordinator, where he made over a million dollars a year, Kansas State offered him a position coach, which is a place... He co- he got started at. His design, yeah, it's a, he's got history there. Yeah, he's got a lot of history there. Snyder gave him his first job, I think. Um, do you expect Levitt to be at Oregon next season?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. Um, he
0: he himself came out today and said, 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 said he'd, he'd like he wants to be a head coach he again.
1: Didn't. Um, I think that'll be dependent upon what's available I don't expect like these SEC jobs that look like they're opening up there's like four of them look like they're going to be open by the end of the weekend I don't he won't be a, cam- a strong candidate for one of those I mean I guess if they miss on right. seven or eight guys maybe you know UCLA is open Arizona State's rumored to be maybe opening but um I, I I would be surprised if he gets a job like that but I could see if a if like a smaller power not a power five even but a smaller job opens up he might jump at it because it does sound like he's interested in taking a head coaching job. I would be surprised if he take a lateral move, though, and, and be a coordinator somewhere else or a position coach somewhere else. I think he sees what he's got, and Eugene is is, is fairly special. They've got a lot to build around. They've got you know, a lot of good young talent. But I found the, yeah, I want to be a head coach. Not, and he could have easily said, no, I'm comfortable. I just want to be a coordinator. That would have been a very easy answer to give. And he said, no, I I think we all want to be the best. We all want to be – right. you know, everybody wants to be a head coach. I thought that was an interesting comment. So, yeah, I would – I think that's something to be aware of. Obviously we know that Taggart's been linked to other jobs and, you know, Jim Levitt probably has had uh, near as big of an impact in kind of turning the program around in terms of that defense and and kind of, you know, you look at just the stats are humongous swing from what they were the last two years to what they are this year and it would be a humongous loss if he were to to go somewhere else but I, I would, I would be probably fairly cautiously optimistic that that doesn't happen right away unless a job opens up that he's you know got an eye on and, and is able to take. But I I think you can be fairly confident that'll be in Eugene next year.
0: And I, I would agree. I I think you, you feel pretty confident. I think what's actually going to happen is he's going to wait a couple of years to see a what happens with Kansas State and Snyder, right? If that opens up and um, if he can maybe. Potentially, you know, move in just right away as the head coach. Doesn't have to go there as a D coordinator waiting in, yeah. you know, head coach and waiting type title. Um, and then after that, I mean, he might, if, if you want to bring up the Taggart stuff, he might be a candidate here if, yeah. if that were to happen. Um, I think he's going to live out his first couple of years of his contract after that. I think he's got a four year deal. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to see what happens next season because if Oregon has another big jump, defensively, back-to-back seasons, seeing what he did at Colorado and then seeing what he's done at Oregon in two years. Uh, he, he'll become a pretty hot name again uh, in the coaching circles. And then, ironically enough as well, Keith Hayward, um, a guy who is Oregon's safety's coach, he also has talk, talked about wanting to be a head coach today. Um, and I, I think at Oregon you, you need to understand that, and this is a good thing. Um, we talked about this before. Yeah. Um, you need to be prepared for Taggart to be linked to a lot of jobs because he's a hot commodity, and, and that tells you that he's doing a good job. And I think Oregon's staff is going to be consistently linked uh, either to jobs higher up the board for like a Hayward to a coordinator, coordinator um, or for like a Crystal Ball, a Royal, or a yeah. Levitt to, to say, a head
1: coach. Both, both of those offensive coordinators, Crystal Ball obviously has head coaching experience and NRO does not, but both of those – I believe there a, a story, kind of ranking, which Pac-12 assistants um, could for, could be considered for head coaching jobs, and I believe Arroyo, it and Cristobal are all on all on that list. And
0: that was done by Football Scoop. Football
1: Scoop, yeah. And and I, I think that you wouldn't be surprised if in three years none of those guys are. All right, Oregon. Absolutely. Because they're gonna if they do a good enough job, they're gonna have opportunities to take other jobs. I look at Arroyo as a younger guy who might be attractive, doesn't have any head coaching experience, and sometimes that's more attractive than a guy that has kind of a a retread. A, yeah, and a guy who hasn't had a fantastic past, you know, look at Crystal Ball and, and Levitt's, you know, career numbers aren't the best. But
0: I mean look at look at UCF right now. Yeah. Scott Frost mm-hmm. is outside of the Chip Kelly stuff. Um, Scott Frost is probably the hottest name on the on the coaching market right now and Probably safe to say that job opens up this offseason yeah. and Crystal Ball's from Miami yeah has head coaching experience and is a guy that's on the come-up again of, of becoming a hot name again for head coaches, that makes a lot of sense in so many different There reasons. are
1: so many org- coaches with Oregon ties that are in – there's is going to be the, refer- the minor these, leagues. There's just all these little dominoes going around here. Oh, this person with an Oregon tie could make an Oregon assistant or Oregon head coach go to this school or that school. Right. So I mean, wherever Chip Kelly or Scott Frost ends up going could end up opening the door for an Oregon assistant or head coach to take a job somewhere else. So – this will certainly be an exciting off season and maybe even get before the season's completely done we'll start hearing some some rumblings. But certainly Oregon uh the staff I think if you were to take a bet, I would be surprised if it's completely intact this time next year. I, I mean I just think that there's probably gonna be some turnover and, and whether that's a guy taking a head coaching job or another assistant coaching job somewhere else. It just feels like when you have a staff with this many High caliber guys. High Someone caliber else guys. wants what so, you somebody have. Somebody else wants what you have. And there'll be some moves made probably.
0: Let's shift gears here before we wrap up the podcast over to recruiting. Um, some some news this week that came out on Monday. Uh, not just a big commitment for basketball, but football. I was like, this is a football podcast. we are talking about football? <laughs> uh, football also got one. Michael Zeki, a three-star tight end wide receiver combo type guy yeah. uh, from Colony High School in Southern California. Um Becomes Oregon's 24th verbal commitment. Uh, they're still 6th in the country, still 1st in the Pac-12. Uh, but this was a big deal because it gives now Oregon some versatility with another player, uh, within the state of Oregon as well. Um, Tegan Quinterino, another tight end, but Azeki's a guy that quite honestly gives Oregon just another one of those weapons outside that's really big and physical as a receiver yeah I really like
1: his tape he he's big he's athletic he can go up and get the ball you watch him in his highlight you can go on huddle and check out his highlights he he's a guy that he's a jump ball receiver in the red zone you know Oregon has not had a lot of those guys recently but he is certainly one of those guys I think he's got versatility he can be a tight end inside he can also be on the outside as a receiver if you want to spread him out there against a smaller defensive back I think he's got huge upside we saw him at the Saturday Night Live event which I actually had, now, all three of Oregon tight ends. Yes. So there, Spencer Webb, Team Quintariano, and seeing all three of those guys in person. Oregon does not have a lot of tight end depth right now, but next year. Two scholarships. Year, this, next year this time. Five. It, it's gonna be, they've got some special talent coming in at that position, and, and certainly, um a lot more weapons for whoever's playing quarterback at Oregon going, going down the line, because, you know They've been kind of limited in terms of what type of weapons they've had, but these guys are bringing in our special catch in the football. Spencer Webb and Ezekie in particular are really, really good pass catchers and, and, and are guys that are almost kind of like a fourth or fifth wide receiver on the field even if they're playing on the inside there.
0: Yeah, I think Ezekie and Webb are going to be guys who probably play day one. I, I would be yeah, I would be surprised if they don't. Um, I think Cameron McCormick has been a solid piece this season. Um, but I think the chances of, of him holding both, if not one, of those guys back and, and keeping the number two spot or the number three spot on the tight end depth chart is going to be pretty difficult. Um, and that's what you want from a, a program who wants to become elite. You need guys who are solid to have to fight for their jobs uh, year in and year out. I think Jacob Bruin probably will, will be safe yeah. as the starter. Um, but I, you know, Spencer Webb, I think is very, very talented. And Azeki has, Steve Wilfong, our national recruiting director for 24-7 sports, wrote about it following his commitment and, and said he's got NFL traits. Yeah, he does. Uh, you yeah. know, 6'6", 225, 230 pounds right now as a high school senior. You know, a, a guy that, you know, conceivably could put on probably another 5 to 15 more pounds and, and get to Oregon in, in and suit up in September and be 6'6", 240. And, you know, Oregon hasn't had a lot of those guys, uh, over the years at that tight end position. They had three of them last year and you, you kind of hoped that they could have found a way to spread those guys out a little bit, yeah. um, so that they could play one this season when they needed it. Um, but tight end was a, an issue we talked about going into the season that Oregon was probably going to be really super thin at and they've now basically, uh, restockpiled that that cover here a little bit to be completely full.
1: It's kind of a, a loose comparison but he's kind of a little Farrell Brown pre-injury I think yeah. in terms of he's a similar body type, similar ability to go up and get it and, and 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 is pretty agile in terms of he's not a burner but he's not a guy who's who's not going to be able to create separation you know, against the linebacker.
0: With 24 commitments, signing day, uh, the early signing period is now less than a month away, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Uh, December 20th is the signing period for that. Um, how many... More commitments? Do you think Oregon will have, you know, by signing day? by on signing day? You know, do, do you think we'll have six or seven more? You know, they're they're shooting for a target of thirty. You know, anywhere from twenty eight to thirty one. Thirty is kind of that sweet spot. What they want. I'm gonna, so that's about six. That's only six more. I'm going
1: gonna, I'm gonna to guess that they get close to thirty. Honestly, because you look at kind of the guy. You know, we, we should mention they have a big recruiting day on December fifteenth. And obviously, if there's a bowl game that overlaps, that's going to be a problem. But we don't perceive that'll be an issue. But they're going to have all their commitments and a number of top targets coming out for official visits then. Um, I would not be surprised at all if we see between two and four guys commit. I mean, the track record Oregon has had so far with these big weekends, the spring game and Saturday Night Live, is they get they, – they deliver. They get six or seven commitments. I'm not sure they're going to get that many because I'm not sure they really want to take that many right away. But I, I, would, I would not be surprised if, if we see them land – Two to four guys over that weekend and they'll be big time players because they're only really accepting high four star, five star talents right yep. now and they're going to have. Azeki was basically of those the only
0: three star guy they, they would take yeah, right
1: now. And they've got a handful of those guys coming in and you know, look at in state guys, Chase Codan, Telano, Hafanga, and then Devin Williams and they're going to certainly have some, some big time prospects. They and, and Yeah, they've some big prospects that are available on the board and I would not be surprised if they sign a class of 27, 28. Um, on December 20th, if everything kind of goes right and, and, you know, everything plays out the way we expect it to,
0: you know, five-star Jalen Hall is going to be on campus this weekend for the civil war, uh, a a receiver, um, you look at him and it's like, you know, they they need two more guys at receiver, maybe one, um, if a couple other surprises happen at other positions, they'll, they'll take one because they've already got four committed at the receiver position, but, um, There's going to be a – there's probably a scenario out there right now where one of Chase Cota, who's a four-star legacy recruit, five-stars, Devin Williams and Jalen Hall, one of those guys probably doesn't get into Oregon. There's there's a legit scenario happening. They they push away a a top 100 recruit. Yeah, because they don't have the room for it. Um, And the other thing I want to talk about this real quick is the ramifications of the early signing period is kind of causing – the normal period, which was February, the first Wednesday in February, to be super down in terms <laughs> of boring. in terms of excitement, because all of January you get new names that randomly pop up, and all of a sudden, organs found a way to get a you know connection with this guy from Texas, and they bring him in for an official visit, or or they've got eight new targets, and three of them come in for officials, and yeah. y- y- you get two of them. Um, Oregon's going to have maybe one or two or three spots to go. For that that final period, and it's going to be very lackluster almost. It, yeah,
1: I, you know there, there was so much shine day hype in the past for that February. Oh gosh, like oh, all these guys are going to announce. And there'll probably be some big names announcing, but it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be Oregon dialed in on four yeah. or five guys for three spots, and and it's it's going to be you'll probably have a pretty good idea of what what Oregon's class will be well before you used to. And certainly, um, if you're a recruiting junkie, like I know a lot of the people on the side are, and a lot of people are probably listening. December, 5th, December 20th might be the more exciting day, yeah. and honestly, the way things are going right now, I think it could be a sort of I don't want to say boring, but you kind of know what they're going to bring in because you know at least you know at least 24 of the players are already kind of locked in and are expected to sign. I mean, players that are, are committed now are basically if they don't sign on the December 20th, you're
0: not committed. They're not
1: committed, and and that you know I think everyone that's committed right now is of the understanding that they're going to sign. On December
0: 20th. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if some guys don't. Yeah. Um, and how Oregon reacts to that. Sure. Um, and then on top of that, you know, one other thing is here is, you know, this actually might work in the favor of Oregon if, you know, let's talk about the Taggart rumor. Yeah. You know, Oregon could get almost this entire top six class signed, you know, potentially before you know the, the the unlimited chance of 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 Taggart leaving and taking the class with him yeah. i mean he he'd basically have to do it in the next two weeks if Taggart's gonna go to another job in two or three weeks um and that just doesn't seem even feasible right now because other jobs you know aren't open, and the jobs that are he's not really interested in um, tool of speculation right here, but yeah. It, it could also help Oregon protect this class.
1: Yeah. That's, that's highly regarded. Absolutely, and you kind of wonder, and we're here speculating if he does leave, and after he signed all those guys, what are the ramifications, and how does that all play out? Because the, there have been situations in the past where guys are able to get out of letters of intent um, after coaching changes, but boy, that would be that would be <laughs> that would be very complicated and probably a very stressful. Couple of weeks for those guys who did sign. Should we do predictions?
0: Yeah, we, let's go circle back to the Civil War game. Uh, Saturday, four o'clock on ESPN two. Ducks are 24 and a half point favorites against the Beavers according to the Westgate Sportsbook in Las Vegas. Um, I think the Ducks like you are going to cover this game. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be 63 to 21.
1: You almost took my exact score. <laughs> I was going to say 60, I'm saying 63 17. So we had we were a very similar number in mind. Um yeah, I, I I think the only way this is not a big Oregon win is if something funky happens with the weather's just awful and Oregon can't pass the football and it becomes one dimensional. Even then Oregon should have a huge advantage looking at Oregon State's rush defense, or if somehow Oregon just turns it over six or seven times because of elements or just because they right. play really poorly, or there's a bunch of they get 27 penalties or, you know, it's, it's going to, it would require some just kind of outlandish scenario, I think, for Oregon to not win this game and not win it particularly handily. So I, I, I think we're both on the same page and Oregon's going to roll.
0: That's going to do it for us. You can find us on iTunes by searching for Duck Territory podcast. Uh, Eric and I are on there. We're free. You can also follow us on duckterritory.com. Our podcasts are posted there as well. Uh, like us on Facebook by going to Oregon or Facebook dot Facebook.com slash organ 247 It's really difficult to, to talk, apparently, today. Uh, and then uh, co- follow us all week long for Civil War coverage. Uh, and then once, once the Civil War is over, we'll kick right into high gear for recruiting coverage and uh, getting you ready for that signing day period on December 20th. So lots to cover, lots to talk to with football. Until we talk to you after the Civil War game, recapping... Probably the 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 Civil War and maybe even the season. Yeah, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you guys.